The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Sunday, January 9th, 2022. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast where we sometimes discuss camel fighting dodo birds and leaky black Matt Norlander is here with me. And I suppose we'll start with uh, the most interesting result from the weekend. It was certainly the most surprising, notable result from the weekend. Final score was Miami 76, number two, number two from now, Duke 74 is inside Cameron indoor. The Blue Devils closed as 15-point favorites, but they got Charlie Moore. Yes, Charlie Moore is still playing college basketball. This is his sixth year of college, his fifth season playing college basketball at his fourth different school. Started at Cal, went to Kansas, did two years at DePaul, and now he's at Miami where he just led the Hurricanes to a win over Duke. Got 18 points, seven assists against the Blue Devils. So Jim Laranaga's Hurricanes are now 13-3 and overall, 5-0 and in the ACC and on a nine-game winning streak, I moved them to number 25 in the top 25 and one. Deadleg, I know you spent Saturday enjoying the beautiful slopes of Vermont, but every decision comes with a price. Are you comfortable with the price you paid this weekend? You missed Miami over Duke in January 2022. Yeah, I'm very, I'm very comfortable with that. It was... Uh... Yeah, I didn't see a second of this of this bad boy. <laughs> it wasn't it was kind of an eventful weekend. We're gonna get to all of it, but I will say as I was checking in on Sunday, so I unplugged entirely. So didn't watch a second of college basketball. That's right. You're listening to a college basketball podcast where one of the two men on here did not watch a second of college basketball on Saturday, but I'm still well equipped to talk about what did go down. Um, you don't so have to I- see this stuff to talk about it. One of the great misconceptions about yes. being a sports analyst is in that fact, you gotta see it. There's a chance you may be watching Hello YouTube and listening Hello Podcasters, a podcast audience, to two men who maybe not watched a second. I can't attest if Paris watched. I'm going to presume he did. I watched a lot of seconds. I was on CBS Sports HQ all day, constantly tinkering with the top 25 and one and watching seconds of basketball. Did you fly solo on that HQ or they get someone else to go up there with you? It was all me, baby. No problem. All right, there we go. Well, you know what? I'll return the favor uh, in a couple weekends maybe there. But anyway, uh, so, yes, when I was checking in on Sunday and seeing, I was like, here's a, I knew that Duke lost. But I was like, wait, Miami wins at Duke? Yeah. San Diego State beat undefeated Colorado State by 30? 30. Pitt won a basketball game? Alabama lost to Missouri? True. What? Rice beat UAB? Rice, what's going on out there? So, yes, it was a little bit of a nutty uh, a nutty weekend, and there's some other stuff we'll get to there. This is the win that kind of validates – I think it does two things here. It it certainly validates Miami's case as an NCAA tournament team. They were entering into that conversation, but you get this win uh, on the road, a high-quality one that's clearly going to be quad one once we get to Selection Sunday. There's some real um, long-lasting positivity to the resume there for Jim Laranaga's Hurricane. so good on them. Um, this, by the way, is a program – I think we've mentioned occasionally over the past two or three years or so, but it was Miami was one of those schools that was initially brought into that whole FBI deal, you know, where it was alleged initially that uh, Miami's program was basically willing to uh, to pay to to get a player, and that wound up being not the case whatsoever. Uh, 
Jim Laranega and his program were completely absolved of any wrongdoing as far as the federal government was concerned and the NCAA and all that. But Miami still paid a price for it in recruiting, and then it couldn't. It just had the worst luck with with injuries and eligibility and all this stuff. So now for Laranega to kind of get on the other side of that and see some light at the end of the tunnel is kind of a cool story. And then the other takeaway from this as well, um, I didn't listen to your Friday pod with cops, so I don't know if you touched on this at all. We've mentioned it here and there, but like the ACC, like Duke was supposed to be the one team that had separated from the pack and at, at least, and maybe it still will, but you lose to Miami here. And even more so, it's, it's just giving a lot of credibility to the notion that the ACC, this could be, it's it, frankly, it's weakest season that it's ever had there. So yeah, this is a, I, I don't know if you qualify this GP as the most stunning result of the weekend, honestly, like. Colorado State losing by 30 might be the most stunning to me of all of them. But uh, Miami getting the win at Duke obviously raises plenty of eyebrows. Well, Colorado State was an underdog at San Diego State. Not a 30-point underdog, but an underdog still. They were supposed to lose the game, and they did. Worse than they should have, but the result was what the result was supposed to be. Miami was a 15-point underdog at Duke. And when Cobb and I talked about it, on Friday in the final four and one, oh, this is going to break your heart. I took Miami plus the 15. I said, I think Duke probably wins the game, but I'm surging. I'm surging in the final four and one, surging. I said, I think Duke probably wins the game, but that's a lot of points for a team that's won a lot of games in a row. And then, of course, uh, Miami ends up winning the game outright. It's fascinating because this is a school program that wouldn't even be on my radar for the top 25 and one. But the issue is that the resume is top 25 and one worthy right now. But the computer numbers are dreadful. And so there's not, as somebody who looks at this stuff every day, there, I'm just telling you, there is not another school whose resume is so drastically in conflict with the computer numbers. Here's what I mean. Miami's now 13 and three. Got wins over Duke, Clemson, Wake, Syracuse, NC State. The losses are to UCF, Dayton, Alabama. Two of those losses are double-digit losses. Um, so they're one and one in quadrant one, four and two in quadrant two, which means they are five and three in the first two quadrants with zero ad additional losses. Like from a resume perspective, like that's better than Kentucky. It's worthy of being ranked. But the computer numbers are dreadful. 80th in the net, 81st at Torvik, 82nd at Ken Palm, 83rd in Sagarin. They're 24th in adjusted offensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm, 200th in adjusted defensive efficiency. So that defense is among the reasons the computer numbers are, are bad. Still, it's a pretty interesting situation in Coral Gables um, to have, you know, a 13-3 and team from the ACC with a 5-0 and league record on a nine-game winning streak and still be, you know, 80-ish in every computer that we point at. That's that's not a normal thing. I would – all right, so for those that might not be aware, like we often talk about uh, when we reference Ken Palm and, and try and give the – the disclaimer that once you get in certainly in November, heavy preseason bias, December is still there. January is still there. Uh, right around game number 20 is when a team's uh, numbers ranking it within Ken Palm are, are strictly off of what they've done within that given season. So Miami's 16 games in. It's next four at FSU, home to UNC, home to FSU again. Again, if these games are played as scheduled. And then game 20 is at Virginia Tech. Let's just say, let's just, you know what, let's go bright side with Miami. Let's say it goes three and one in that stretch. And we're looking at a 16 and four team once it gets to that 20 game threshold. I would anticipate that we are going to, we are going to see a Miami team that will, that will jump uh, for a couple of reasons. If this happens, it's projected to lose three of those four games, which is reflected in how low it is in Ken Palm right now, as you said, 82nd overall. So if it can win those games and outperform its expectation uh, and be a 16-win team 20 games of the season, I would I would think that it's going to climb aggressively, like into the 40s. Uh, I think it'll be, it'll be pretty substantial there, and it will more accurately probably reflect the reality of what we think Miami can be. Um, but then again, like Duke, you know, Duke right now is, is 13th as well. So having not having not seen the game, I can't speak to how poorly or well Duke looked when it when it lost this game. I mean, it was close, but if you're Duke, you're way more talented. You're the better team. You're the best team in the ACC. And, you know, apparently, you know, they had the a lot of cast of characters played well. Wendell Moore had a double double. He's been a, a really solid player most of the season. Mark Williams had six block shots. Bancaro, 20 points and seven boards. So um, 
I know if you look at the if you look at the box score overall, that kind of gives a little more indication to to what went down there. But to me, it's it is more about Miami than it is uh, than it is Duke. And you mentioned Charlie Moore. That's just <laughs> it's incredible to see these players that are getting this bonus, like players everywhere getting a bonus here. But Charlie Moore, like you know, taking advantage, man. That's an awesome life memory. Go into Cameron and and play that well. Get 18 points, lead your team to an upset win over a Duke team that's got multiple future NBA players on it. I think that's an awesome story. So good on Miami. We kind of wait and see with them. I kind of I kind of put them in the uh the Texas AM bucket GP. Texas AM, I mean, I don't know. It's 13 and 2 and 2 and 0 in the SEC, right? Overall strength of schedule is horrendous. It's in the 300s. Like they haven't really played anyone. Uh, no idea, uh, they, but they're going to play what Ole Miss and Mizzou coming up. Texas A&M could be a 15 and two team, and we don't know if it's NCAA tournament worthy. I think Miami's a little bit better than that. Strangely enough, Texas A&M actually rates higher in all the predictive metrics. But there are a couple of teams like this where the records are a bit gaudy, but we don't quite have enough information yet on how legitimate they are. On Charlie Moore, just sort of thinking about this, is there any player in Division One history? Need ESPN stats and info to look this up. Who has started his career in? presumably ended his career from a miles perspective further away from each other starts his career at Cal yeah and will end it at Miami well if anyone started at Miami or ended at Washington or vice versa yeah there's got to be like good question though I don't know but there's got it you get that Seattle to Miami that's the that's the longest diagonally in the states Hawaii to anywhere we're in Ooh, that's a good Hawaii the Hawaii one's gonna screw me up Hawaii to anywhere in Hawaii. continental United States lower 48 continental there we go he's got to be top 10 though Berkeley to to Coral Gables yeah absolutely so um I might as well just tee you up here because you should be the one talking more on this podcast any cosmetic takeaways from what you saw happen on either side of the ball there with Miami and Duke no, I thought Duke was going to win the game up until Duke lost the game. You know, like uh, Duke was, uh, I don't want to say they were in control, but they there was a moment in the final minutes where it was like, okay, they're going to get out of this. Um, you know, they make a shot, they get a stop, and then boom, 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 it, game's over, and they lost. It doesn't make me too concerned about Duke. It does make me um, a little more intrigued by Miami because this is a team that was picked 12th in the preseason ACC poll. And right now they're alone atop the ACC standings with a 5-0 and league record. Now, four of those games came at home. Um, and that's why if you wanted to be uh, dismissive uh, or, or discounted a little bit heading into the weekend, then you could. But once they go out on top of everything else they've done and win at Duke, again, I'm going to pay attention to the resume. And the resume says they should be ranked right now. With Duke, I dropped them down to 15th. And you get a whole lot of people immediately. I, I don't know. I've been doing this for years now and talking about it for years. You would think by now the people who care about this stuff have figured it out. Um, but the questions come. I dropped them down to 15th. And um, people say, that's a big drop for a two-point loss to a, top, to a team you also call top 25. For the millionth time, I don't get caught up in drops or how high somebody moves up or how low somebody moves down. I, I, I just take – here's what the resume says now based on where we were yesterday. Now let's reevaluate where do they belong at this moment after the most recent development. And the truth is a Duke team that's just two and one in quadrant one and one and oh in quadrant two. So three and one in the first two quadrants, like a Duke team that's just three and one in the first two quadrants with an additional Q3 loss. Because here's the thing, we've been talking about the computers, Miami uh, losing to that team at home in this moment, according to the net, that's a quad three loss. So Duke is three and one in the first two quadrants with a quad three loss. That's not a great resume. You know, they do have great wins, Gonzaga, Kentucky, but that's about it. Just three wins in the first two quadrants. For uh, some context here, Baylor has seven wins in the first two quadrants. Um, Auburn has seven wins in the first two quadrants. Uh, Duke has three, and Duke has that quadrant three loss. So you know, I dropped them down to 15th. They dropped everywhere. They're now 13th in the net, 13th at Ken Palm, 12th at Torvik. So, you know, it, it, people will ask questions like, do you really think there's 14 teams that would beat Duke tomorrow? I mean, maybe. Maybe there are. I mean, they just lost at home to Miami. I, I'm, I'm So maybe. But that's not how I look at it. If you want to look at it that way, it's fine. It's just not the way I look at it. I look at what have you done? I mean, we're you know, eight, nine, ten weeks into this season. Um, and what have you done? And where do you belong? And right now, 
three and one in the first two quadrants with a quadrant three loss that came at home to a Miami team that is clearly better than we thought, but still has dreadful computer numbers. That's just, uh, that's not terrific stuff. It doesn't mean I think Duke can't win the national championship. It just means that's where I think Duke deserves to be ranked in this moment. Up next for Miami at Florida State on Tuesday. So that'll obviously be challenging. Up next for Duke, got at Wake Forest on Wednesday. Wake Forest coming off a overtime victory over Jim Beheim and the Syracuse Orange. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way at newbalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So Duke wasn't the only ranked team to get upset this weekend. As Norlander mentioned, um, number six, Kansas lost 75-67 at Texas Tech. Number 14, Texas lost 64-51 at Oklahoma State. Number 15, Alabama lost 92-86 at Missouri. Consequently, I dropped Kansas to number 10 in the top 25 and one removed completely both Texas and Alabama also got rid of, you mentioned it earlier, Colorado state. The Rams weren't upset per se. They were underdogs, but they did lose by 30 at San Diego state. So they're now 11 and one with zero wins over top 30 Kempom teams and a 30 point loss to unranked San Diego state. They dropped a 52nd at Kempom after that loss. 52nd, I had to drop them. I had to get them out. Any thoughts on Colorado State falling from the list of unbeatens and and being removed from the top 25 and one? I know this game was on big CBS. It was the it was the four o'clock tip there. Erica's most not watch network. It's the network of stars. Damn right. And a really great opportunity and showcase for the Mountain West because that's going to be a multi-bid league with ease this season. But Colorado State had had one. It it played on December 11th. Then it had a long pause. Nico Medved's talked on the record about it. Basically, almost everyone on the team got COVID, and they were all, almost all, I think all of them were vaccinated, but not yet boosted. And uh, so they come back, they play Air Force on Tuesday. They get the win at home narrowly against a, you know, let's just be honest here, a not good Air Force team. And then, I, I listen, confluence of events here. Colorado State was scheduled against San Diego State late because SDSU lost its game against Nevada. And so, I mean, whatever. If you're a top 25 team, you're not losing on the road by 30 to just about anyone and maybe just some of the rust had to had to come off in a significant way so credit to san diego state because i think colorado state's still going to be i still think colorado state's going to be the best team in the league i know it's hard to say right now in the immediate aftermath but give me another four to six weeks to look at the standings there and i think that we'll find that csu is going to be atop the mountain west as always reserve the very precious and welcome right to be quite wrong on this, but I think CSU will be the best team in the mountain West and this will be almost a little bit aberrational, but that, that win's going to carry a lot of cachet for SDSU. So yeah, that's a, that's a, that's to me, that's just the, the margin is just, it was the most stunning um, overall. I think you were right to kind of bump them out because they've got a good neutral against Creighton, a nice home win against St. Mary's two teams. You can Easily say you you could see well not easily but they they're conceivable they'll make the tournament and the Mississippi State as well should be in that competition but overall probably validated in that but that was the biggest surprise to me but not far behind I I put that Texas Tech now that was a home game I get that but Kansas was showing itself to be you know nipping at Baylor's heels in my opinion in terms of. Big 12 supremacy, and plus, you know, Kansas is Kansas. It went 14 consecutive seasons, finishing atop the league ledger there, so there was reason to believe that that could still continue, and maybe it still will. But, man, you want to talk about a validating win uh, for Texas Tech. First year under Mark Adams, get that win the way it did. The Big 12 was relatively noisy, right, GP? You had that, and plus you had Oklahoma State hold and serve 
and uh, really putting the, the horns in their place with a 13-point win. So, yeah, I thought the Big 12 overall had um, had some headline-making results this weekend and what was obviously a relatively noisy one in college basketball. Great day for Texas Tech fans. They get to watch Chris Beard lose, and yeah. then um, almost immediately after that happened, they get to start beating uh, the Kansas Jayhawks. Let's focus on Chris Beard's Longhorns for a second. Um, they lost 64-51 at Oklahoma State. Now, Trey Mitchell didn't make the trip, third leading scorer, third leading rebounder, but still, Longhorns were favored to win this game, even without Trey Mitchell. Um, and then they lose it. And this is an Oklahoma State team that's got some talent, but had already lost four times at home this season. And so then Texas goes there and loses by double digits. You know, in the preseason, after all the additions, uh, Marcus Carr, Trey Mitchell, uh, on down the line, most people seem to think that Texas would either be great or at least good. Right now, I'm not sure they're either. You still believe in this team, or are you uh, starting to grow skeptical that the Longhorns will, will ever um, be the team that a lot of people thought they'd be in the preseason? Well, you may recall that in the preseason, I was vocally skeptical on this notion that Texas deserve to have a top five preseason ranking based purely on it's Chris Beard. He's been a really, really good coach at Texas Tech. He's going to go to Texas where the fit couldn't be more perfect, bringing all these transfers and it's going to click and this should be a top five team. I never bought into that. In fact, I think I remember talking on one of our preseason episodes, be it the Big 12 specific one or another one where I even didn't like myself for caving to groupthink and I put Texas in my preseason top 10. But even then, Still wasn't comfortable with it. And if I wind up being wrong about that and wrong here, come back and find me uh, as always there. But I thought that Texas was more set up, more practically set up this season to be a tournament team, an interesting team, a good team in the Big 12, but not in the top tier of the sport. Now, it looks like that at the moment. If you look at the resume overall, it's just a little bit inconsistent. Maybe this team will just need a little bit more time. I remember when I went to the... Um, when I went to the Gonzaga-Texas game at the start of the season and Gonzaga just rolled them, uh, ESPN's friend Frischilla called that game. And so we sat in uh, on a little bit of Gonzaga and Texas practices. And I remember Frischilla saying um, that this team looks like it's going to be one that's much more well-rounded and uh, and full to form by the time we got to February. And that's often what you'll hear in the preseason with a lot of, a lot of teams. But uh, he kind of laid out his reasons as to why. And I remember thinking yeah, there probably could be something to that. Cause I wasn't sure how dangerous they'd be right off the bat. Then they go out and they just get, uh, you know, completely sideswiped by Gonzaga to start the season. And what was a really tough test? I mean, that was a tough ask. Chris Beard even said this was a house money situation there, but yeah, I, d I don't necessarily think that Texas is going to be in the mix to win the big 12 this season. And I, that's not unreasonable. <laughs> like first season under Chris Beard and he tried to, make it work with a bunch of different kind of transfers. They're still going to be dangerous. I still think this, I don't know where they're going to land GP on what seed line. If there are five, if there are three, if there are seven, but let's just say there are five, you know, if there are five, I, they, they can get past the 12 handle a four. And then I could see a situation where sweet 16, they're playing a one in the regional semi. And yeah, it's like a nightmare situation. You wouldn't want to face Texas probably in that kind of spot. So I could still see this coming around in March and being a pretty cool story, but reliability over the next eight weeks for Texas to be a team that's, you know, maintaining top 10 status in the AP top 25. I I'm, I'm highly skeptical. That's going to be the case. Yeah. Texas is now Owen three in quad one opportunities. The losses to you mentioned Gonzaga, the other Seton hall, now Oklahoma state best win. If you just look at it, go, well, they beat West Virginia, but West Virginia was missing multiple players, including Taz Sherman. That's the best win. Nine of the 12 wins for Texas um, are against sub 200 Kempom teams. So there's not a lot there right now. And it was another disappointing performance um this weekend for marcus carr he had been playing better had uh scored a total of 39 points in the previous two games and this one just one of six from the field four points three turnovers in 36 minutes um you know a bit of a step back after a couple of encouraging performances so texas out of the top 25 and one um the the teams ended up dropping three teams completely out alabama colorado state and texas and the teams that I brought in were Illinois, um, yeah, Miami, and the Oklahoma Sooners. Porter Mosier doing a nice job um, at OU. They got a nice win over Iowa State this weekend. 
Yeah, Iowa State's now lost two of three because it lost by 13 to OU, I think I saw. Next up, by the way, I think Iowa State has a roadie versus Kansas on Tuesday, which we can get to in a few. Uh, but it's possible that could be a one and three Big 12 team after a hot start there. But yeah, um, good. Listen, Oklahoma is going to be a team that probably gets a little bit lost in the shuffle because it's not going to be top of the Big 12. It's not going to be top of the rankings there, but it's. I, I think it's going to be well clear. Uh, I think Big 12 is a, a toughie there, so there's no guaranteeing any of this, obviously. But Oklahoma at 12 and three right now, I'm guessing it's going to be well clear of the bubble conversation, which means it could just float anywhere in that seven to 10 range uh, and get a little bit overlooked, but it shouldn't be just because Porter Moser first season there inheriting a situation. It's, it's funny what expectations will do. Let me tie this to what we just talked about here because of the nature of what Chris Beard had accomplished at Texas tech um, and making the championship game. First, he got the team to like, you know, elite eight status, which just unheard of at Texas tech practically. Right. It was, it was literally, it had never happened. Correct. And then literally gets them to the championship game had never happened. Those are two separate campaigns overall. You do that. You go back to your alma mater you start landing just like four of the 10 to 12 most notable transfers on the market. It creates a lot of understandable hype, right? Uh, one of the biggest off-season hirings there could have been. Meanwhile, Porter Moser, you know, he didn't do unprecedented things at Loyola Chicago because that's a university that has a national championship. Trivia time, what year did it happen? What time did, what year did Loyola Chicago win the national title? Yeah, guess the year. That was 1956. Ooh, you are close. See if the live chat. I see the live chat can Google this real quick. You're not as it's easier if you're playing at home by yourself. You can play. I only got a 49 in there. No, that's not uh, that is not correct. 1963. Yeah, I was gonna say 63. Were you? Yeah, I just decided to say 56 instead. Let me fact check myself in real time. I'm almost positive uh, that was loyal was 63, and then uh, Texas Western was 66. Yes, that is what, what happened there. Um, anyway, the point I'm making here is that uh, that university had won a national championship in men's college basketball, but for him to make a Final Four in the modern era and then get back to a Sweet 16, um, it's it, it, the point I'm trying to make here is that if Texas gets the NCAA tournament as a six seed, it's going to be seen as a disappointment. If Oklahoma gets to the tournament as a seven or eight seed, it'll be seen as a highly acceptable season for the Sooners in men's college basketball. And I just think it's funny how sometimes these things work their way to that kind of ending when we probably just overhyped Texas to begin with and undersold what Oklahoma was capable of. And so good on Porter Moser. The road is going to be tough. Oh, by the way, as we talk here, and we can, I know you want to preview Tuesday at the end of the podcast, but those two schools, they play each other on Tuesday night. It will be Oklahoma at Texas. So as I mentioned all this, Texas will be the betting favorite and will probably win that game at home. But the point stands, Moser's done a really nice job. Gets a really definitive home win against Iowa State, who I'm by no means selling, but you're getting a, definitely a regression of the mean right now with TJ Altsberger's team, which has dropped two of its past three, both reasonable, home to Baylor and then at Oklahoma. While we're uh, mentioning like movement in the top 25 and one, again, Alabama is another team I dropped completely out. Nobody has a weirder resume than the Crimson Tide. They're 11 and four. Got wins over Gonzaga, Houston, Tennessee, Florida, Miami, but they've lost to Memphis, Davidson, Iona, Missouri. Just all over the place. Big wins, bad losses. And up next on Tuesday, they're going to host an Auburn team that I just moved up to number two in the top 25 and one. Dead leg, can you get down? No, it was the focus of your court report. Can you get down with Auburn being ranked number two right now behind only Baylor? I'll make my case for Bruce Pearl's Tigers if you need me to. Before we get to that, we say we saying that's now the weirdest resume. Bama over Dayton. Dayton also has a win over Miami that's aging well. Kansas, Belmont, losses to Ole Miss, SMU. I think you're probably right. Dayton is not going to have – it's lost to UMass Lowell, buddy. Lost to UMass Lowell, Lipscomb, Austin P. I don't think Dayton can get to a spot where it's at. If you're going to be in that conversation, weirdest resumes, you have to be an at-large candidate. Right. And at this point, Dayton's going to have to tear off 10 consecutive wins to be in that conversation. So I think your comment there is right, but I was trying to riff in real time, and I remember the flyers were uh, a bit bizarre there. Um, just, just trust me on these things. I, I didn't go skiing all weekend. I've been working. It's all right, but I want to get you back on that. Maybe you and I can do a ski trip together at some point. Oh, that's hard to do. We both got to, one of us has to be on this podcast in the winter. And then when we're, when basketball isn't happening, like we'd have to, we'd have to fly to Austria together, which I'm also up for doing, by the way. Um, 
Did you ask me about the Tigers or the Tide? I asked you about the Auburn Tigers. I moved them up to second in the top 25 and one. I'm asking if you approve. I do approve. Now, Auburn was the subject of my court report uh, this past Wednesday. I talked to Bruce Pearl in advance of the team's road win against South Carolina. Um, And he had actually pointed out, I can't remember if I put this in the court report or not. It's been a, it's been a little bit of time here and I had to deal with kids trying to learn how to ski fun, but predictably frustrating, but rewarding all the same. Uh, So brains a little bit of scrambled right now, but Pearl said that between at South Carolina home to Florida at Alabama at Ole Miss, which is those next two are coming up on the schedule. He was like collectively since he got to Auburn, like eight games under 500 in those scenarios when his team played at Carolina, home to Florida, at Bama, at Ole Miss. So he said this next this next stage here is going to really be a nice barometer for me to really understand how good our team can be and where we are. And at this point, is there any other conceivable argument other than Auburn to be the number two team after what we saw Kansas was incapable of doing over the weekend? I don't think so. Auburn at 14-1, and one, the only loss was – it was a really good game that I think a lot of people watching live on YouTube right now are listening on the podcast. If you're if you're among the you know the diehard sect that watches those Thanksgiving week games, Auburn UConn at the Battle for Atlantis was a fun. It's one of the five to seven best games we've had this season. Double OT loss against a Huskies team, which oh by the way way is kind of reeling right now and hasn't won back to back games in well over a month there. But even still, like UConn probably going to make the tournament, probably a top thirty level team overall when healthy this season, in my opinion. And so yeah, a fourteen and one team. Baylor, you know, Baylor, um, probably the most reliable thing we got going in all of American sports at this point, GP. But Auburn at two does make a whole heck of a lot of sense. And when I talked to Pearl, we kind of hit on a bunch of different notes there. I wanted to kind of get it all into the court report. But my primary takeaways were, one, he had mentioned the growth of Walker Kessler. And they kind of, I didn't realize uh, how long Pearl and his staff had known Kessler, but he's like from the area and they'd recruited him since he was sophomore in high school. So when he transferred, like there was a, a real establishment there and they sold him on, listen, you don't even realize how good of a defensive player you can be. And we're going to make you into that. And they, and they have, it's been huge gains uh, practically immediately from the start of the season. And then of course we talked about Jabari Smith and he said, Jabari Smith's greatest quality is that he's not just, He's not just humble. He's he's saying when he's on the floor, like he makes everyone else around him comfortable because he's not trying to play to any kind of expectation of what he should be stereotype of him being the number one pick in the draft. He doesn't ball hog. He doesn't take shots. He shouldn't take. He just kind of has seamlessly flows within the offense there. And I think that's made a, a huge difference in, he said with him, there's just not any ego and uh, he understands like, you know, this is going to be a one and done season for Sparrow Smith, who is clearly pacing himself to top three status in the June NBA draft. Uh, that That's clear at this point. But let's talk about college basketball terms, what he means to this team right now. He's highly efficient. Pearl emphasized the fact that, listen, we've got a, a, a three point shooter that's north of 40 percent. Actually, as we speak right now, Jabari Smith is hitting 45 percent of his threes as a six, nine, six, ten kind of long prototypical NBA prospect. Right. And so because he shoots so well, reliably from beyond the arc, a good th- a three point shooter, a good foul shooter, a good distributor of the ball likes to rebound and never seems to really get himself uh, into foul trouble while at the same time also drawing a lot of contact and getting to the line. He's been uh, he's been a fabulous player and college basketball fans probably know about him. But I think his moment of true national arrival might be coming in the next month or so. Once Auburn's populating the top five of the rankings, their game on a given Tuesday or Wednesday night versus another really good SEC team will kind of be the thing that we either talk about heading into a podcast uh, that that week or coming out of it the next morning after. So more Jabari Smith love is coming nationally along all along the way. But yeah, Auburn. I go back to this GP who else in your mind since you're doing this like. Who else has a conceivable argument for number two in the country right now other than the Tigers? I actually don't think anybody. That's why I jumped them up to number two. Like, I looked at it from every angle. Some people, I guess, would make an argument for Arizona, Arizona being only a one-loss team. But Arizona, you know, is one and one in quadrant one. and You know, that's it. Um, zero wins over currently ranked teams. Now, I believe that'll change on Monday because they've got that win over – Illinois and Illinois will probably move into the AP poll on Monday. But as of this moment, you know, Arizona's, um, you know, they have one quadrant, quadrant one win. 
you know, Auburn's sitting here with three. Auburn is three and one. And this is sort of, I was looking for one thing to, to justify it. This is what I landed on. Um, Auburn is 14 and one overall wins over LSU, Loyola, Chicago, Florida, UCF, Syracuse, the losses, a double OT loss to UConn like seven weeks ago. Um, they're three and one in quadrant one, four and oh in quadrant two. So they're seven and one in the first two quadrants with zero additional losses. The only team in the country with at least seven wins in the first two quadrants with a higher winning percentage in the first two quadrants. The only one better than Auburn is Baylor. That's it. Baylor's four and oh in quadrant one, three and oh in quadrant two. So I think you can reasonably argue right now. Auburn has the second-best resume in the country, and that's why I jumped them up to number two, and I love the roster. You know, Jabari Smith's going to get most of the attention. He might be the number one pick in the draft. Um, Walker Kessler and Alan Flanagan are also, like, legitimate NBA prospects, like late first, you know, somewhere in the second round type picks. And then you got, you know, Katie Johnson, Wendell Green, Jalen Williams, you know, two sophomores and a junior. The thing I like about Auburn's roster is they have the type of NBA talent you typically need to go win the whole thing, but then they also have the type of non-freshman you typically need to go win the whole thing. Like they might have the number one pick in the draft as a one-and-done freshman. Everybody else in the rotation is a non-freshman. They've got lots of sophomores, juniors. Jabari Smith's the only freshman in the rotation, so they've got – experienced and NBA talent, an accomplished coach, a lot, you know, and, a, a you know, one of the best, you know, defensive rim protecting bigs in the country in Walker Kessler. I mean, there's just a lot to like there. You know, I, I don't know, you know, I can't promise you they're going to end up in the final four like, uh, you know, the 2019 team did, but I can promise you this, they're good enough to do it. I don't know if they will do it, but, you know, right now they look the part. Yeah, the uh, the 2019 team thrived on its three-point shooting, and that's really what helped them get there. They were a top 20 team nationally in three-point accuracy. This team isn't that. It's ranked 85th as we speak right now. Uh, the three-point threats are Smith and then Wendell Green, who recently, I think the South Carolina game, he had a team high. They are capable of having a little bit of that, too, uh, between Wendell Green, Katie Johnson, kind of smaller players able to get the job done in addition to their, uh, their bigs overall. And, yes, you mentioned... Alan Flanagan. Remember, he had uh, Achilles surgery in the offseason, and he's still ramping back up here. So I think I made this point in the court report as well. Like, the the best really could be yet to come. It's hard to say, like, the best is yet to come with a 14-1 team, but that could be the case. Now, remember, the SEC is going to be highly competitive, although... Before we wrap on Auburn, let's talk about the rival real quick because I didn't see it. I don't know how much you saw that game, but what what the hell's happening here? I guess it was a road contest, but Bama dropping against Mizzou Nearly as surprising as just about anything else there. Any quick takeaways on on what you saw? That I just I don't know. That's I would not have thought that was going to happen. And credit to the Tigers for for getting a, a good win there. But Bama's they're that's my preseason pick to win this league, and they're they're proving to be a, a bit more erratic than I thought they would be. Well, like we just talked about it, you know they they they're eleven and four, and they got massive wins. And then like what do you what what losses like you know losing to Memphis when Memphis is you know, lost a bunch, losing to Iona. Like, it's Rick Patino. I get it. But, like, you're supposed to you're supposed to win the game. Um, and then this one, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I got 50 screens in front of me at all times. It never occurred to me to turn on Alabama-Missouri until there was about eight minutes to go. And I was like, man, they really might win. Like, they really might lose this game. So I turned it on for, like, you know, the last six minutes or something. Um, it's just a head, you know. I, 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 I'd have to – I, I, again, I didn't put my eyeballs on that game too much, but one of the points I made about Alabama earlier this season is that, you know, they're going to take around 47, you know, to 52% of their field goal attempts from three. And if they're making them, they're in good shape. And last year, if they weren't, they were still fine because they guarded so brilliantly and they could hang around even when they weren't making shots. And so they could beat you different ways. This year, they're not the same defensive team. And so when they're not making shots, um, it's harder to win. I mean, I know that sounds simple, simple, but like last year they could win when they weren't making shots. That's how good they were defensively. So you could avoid some of this stuff. 
Now, when they're not making shots, it's real hard for them. And that's, I think that's the best explanation for why they've got these big wins and these bad losses. Because they're going to shoot, you know, a whole bunch of threes every game. Or they want to, at least. And um, when they make them, they can beat anybody. And when they miss them, they can lose to almost anybody. And that's what the resume says so far. Uh Okay, good to good to know. By the way, Arkansas, uh, the, it was the victim to Texas A and M. I mentioned A and M, and we'll see what happens there. Arkansas, the bottom has just completely come out, ten and five, and who the heck knows there. Um, so we'll see. The SEC's, uh, I just find it to be the most compelling conference overall. Um, I'll give you a quick couple of things here. I'll tee you up. Uh, let me. I'll just run down. And tell me what uh, we'll go. In, we'll go. We'll do this reverse style, GP. I'll I'll give you a few things that popped out, and then anything else from the weekend to uh to talk about here. Uh, just take it and roll with it. Okay. So Gonzaga scored. I got it. This first one's a trivia time. You guess just guess the year. Gonzaga wins. Right. Comes back and gets in the league play. Drops 117 points on its conference. I'm not going to say rival because I'm guessing Gonzaga Pepperdine games have gone Gonzaga's way 95% of the time over the past 20 years, but it's a 117-83 win. Trivia time is this. When was the last time, what year, that we had a team drop at least 117 points in regulation against a conference opponent? Conference on conference crime, intra-conference, 117, no overtimes, just regulation. What year do you think that happened? like that could have happened at any point i'm gonna say to 2018 Ooh, we're not that far off it is 2016 samford and the citadel hot hot socon action there was the last time we had 117 and 40 minutes gp against a conference opponent doesn't happen all that often so credit to gonzaga for coming out and making just a huge 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 statement there uh, neither of those teams, Samford or the Citadel, made the tournament that year. That would have been uh, Chattanooga. But uh, nevertheless, yes, big time, uh, big time win. Um, elsewhere, just a note: Illinois and Michigan have not played since the weekend started. They won't. They're not playing here. At least I don't think they are. They're the only undefeated undefeated teams left in the Big Ten. As we record this, by the way, I'm on stream, so I'm like 60 seconds behind in real time. We got Wisconsin 29, Maryland. 12 so that would be a nice uh nice little road win for the badgers i know real you- real mad at myself why i should because i was I, i'm all in on the badgers now i'm all in on johnny davis okay and i was like they're only favored by one over maryland maryland's coach like literally quit a few weeks ago all right that's the, 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 i'm gonna assume johnny davis can handle the team whose coach quit you know earlier this season yeah, and I forgot to I forgot to put it in see, see here's the deal wisconsin it's one of those teams that computers hadn't caught up to yet there's no catching up to Johnny Davis. I think we've. That's all what heard. I'm trying to tell you. There's just there's no there's no doing it. So as we, if anyone's going to listen to this Monday morning, Monday night, Tuesday morning, and for whatever reason Maryland's come back and won, not a great look for us. Whatever. I'm willing to say Wisconsin's probably going to be able to hang on to this, but it is the least 14. And I think it was like 19, like five minutes ago. Whatever. Um. Anyway, the Illinois, Michigan State, only unbeaten's left in the Big Ten, both four and zero. Uh, we'll get to the Tuesday Tuesday games in just a second. But on the note of the Big Ten. Indiana might be putting it together. Back-to-back wins against Ohio State and Minnesota. You get above 500 in the conference. 12-3 and overall for the Hoosiers, so that's good signs. Trace Jackson Davis averaging 20-12 and in those back-to-back wins, which uh, I think is a good sign. And then my only other thing from the weekend, and then take it wherever, but uh, you mentioned the Wake win, 13-3, and host Duke on Wednesday. So we will preview that game on the Wednesday morning pod. At least that's our plan. But Syracuse, oh, by the way, uh, is seven and eight and credit to Mike waters beat reporter who noted when Syracuse was seven and seven, even before this loss, this is the worst start first half of the season through 14 games or 15 games ever for Syracuse men's basketball in the history of the program uh, under Jim Beheim, that is. And so I remember asking Q's fans, I don't know, three weeks ago on the pod, just kind of wondering aloud if you could have your choice new coach for next season or ride it out with Bayheim for another two, three years, what would you choose? And a few Q's fans found me after them. They were like, he's going to be the forever legend. Like, you know, but uh, it's, it's about time here. And so I don't know if this is going to accelerate or not. I really don't, but certainly worth noting that the fun joke to make is about how Syracuse is a bubble team that then, you know, gets into the second week of minimally. It will take something near biblical at this point. Syracuse is not good. And it's uh, statistically having its worst start ever under Jim Bayheim. Probably about to finish 
sixth or worst in the ACC for the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eighth consecutive year. Like that's not, yeah, that ain't the Syracuse. I know the Syracuse I grew up with would, didn't even play in this league, but the Syracuse I grew up with wasn't finishing sixth or worst in any league eight consecutive years. And that's where we are. I've said this before. Um, there's no coach named Jim Beheim that would get another year. Um, there's no coach not named Jim Beheim that would right. get another year after this year at a place like Syracuse. And so that's one where they just got to figure it out. But it's, I mean, it seems time. I know it's such a delicate situation, but he's 77 years old and he hasn't coached a really good team in a long time. He's had some teams that have done some really good things in the NCAA tournament in recent years, you know, sweet 16 last season, uh, sweet 16 in 2018, final four in 2016, but none of those teams were really good. They just, you know, and I guess some people would chalk that up to the zone being a problem for people in the NCAA tournament on short prep and whatever, but he's had some teams that have done, it has totally masked these NCAA tournament runs that the orange have gone on in recent years. How, yeah. How not great the program has been um, for a while now. And so, listen, I'll let them figure it out at Syracuse. But, um, you know, that program is not where it ought to be. And it's one thing when it's not where it ought to be just under any circumstances. It's one thing when you, it's another thing when you're going through this and the two players taking all the shots are your kids. Because, like, that's just an awkward conversation. Hey, why are your kids taking all the shots? And perhaps the counter to that is because the kids are the two best options. And then the counter to that is why are your kids the two best options at Syracuse? So, like, it's a it's a complicated situation that uh, seems to be getting more complicated by the loss. Any other takeaways from the weekend that uh i and the listeners should know about here well uh, i don't know if you saw this ty ty washington had an incredible game um set a kentucky record 17 assist awesome um 92 77 win over georgia georgia was in that game for a little more than a half then kentucky pulled away kentucky's resume is still kind of weird one and two in quadrant one oh and one in quadrant two so they're one and three in the first two quadrants like every once in a while, a Kentucky fan will ask, how do you have Kentucky so low? That's how. They're one and three in the first two quadrants. Like, they're good. I, I think Kentucky's good. But they, um, when given the opportunity to show it against good competition so far this season, they have uh, failed more often than they've been successful. And then um, LSU handled Tennessee pretty much no problem on Saturday. Um, 79-67. LSU 6-1 and one now in the first two quadrants. Uh, Tennessee drops to one and two in the SEC. I've got LSU all the way up to number eight in the top 25 and one. And I dropped Tennessee down to 20. So it was, I guess if we were trying to bottom line the weekend, um, a, a pretty interesting weekend in the big 12 and in the SEC. And those are two of the more interesting leagues we're going to have because, you know, they, they have so many good teams in them. You're going to get, you know, you're, you're going to get teams, you, you know, it's going to be hard in those leagues to run off eight or nine straight. Uh, just because, you know, every it feels like every week or every other week you're going to find yourself in a road game against a, a you know a, a quality opponent. Uh, all right, looking ahead, Monday has some games, but nothing of note. We have nothing. the Georgia Alabama college football playoff title game. That's all let's, we got. Let's, let's after we talk about this Tuesday slate, let's let's pick that game, score and all. But Tuesday, huge. You want to run off what we got, or you want me to do it? I'm good either way. I got it right in front of me. Um, you can tell me if I missed anything. T Tuesday is super busy. Yeah. Um, Texas Tech at Baylor. Tasty. Iowa State at Kansas. Oklahoma at Texas. Auburn at Alabama. Love it. I just, I know how this works, by the way. Okay. You move Auburn up to number two in the top 25 and one, they go get <laughs> bombed at Alabama. Like, I, I know how this works. Good. Listen, Bama's capable of doing that. Of and course. it doesn't mean anything we talked about in the past 15, 30 minutes isn't necessarily true. Like, single game result. But, yes, that, that certainly is on the table. And then Providence at Creighton is a, a Big East game that's, that's um, fairly intriguing. Did I miss any? Um, I'd say just wanted to keep an eye out for teams that we talked about on the podcast here that might be in slippery situations but should win. 
Kentucky plays at Vandy, and Vandy is not necessarily uh, the best team or whatever. It lost at home to South Carolina. What? Vanderbilt's not necessarily the best team? Not necessarily the best team, but it has wins over BYU, and then I don't even know what beating Arkansas means anymore, so whatever. Anyway, Kentucky at Vandy. Ever so often, you'll get a little bit of a little bit of uh, wonkiness with a UK game at uh, at Memorial Gym. So keep an eye. Memorial on- Gym's awesome. Have you you never been there? Have you? No, that's that one of my t- like that along with Minnesota's the barn. Like there's un- there's just a few of yeah. those unconventional ones that I've yet not yet been. To. So it's cool, but the problem for Vanderbilt against Kentucky is like Kentucky's going to bring a lot. The Kentucky fans are going to eat up a lot of those tickets. You can get the Nashville pretty easily from Lexington, and so it's not. You know, Vanderbilt against, you know, some other team, it's, you know, when Memorial's filled, it's going to be like a a pretty intense home court advantage. Vanderbilt against Kentucky, you're probably going to have a, I I mean, I don't, I don't know, but I'm going to assume you'll have a significant portion of, uh, of that building filled with Kentucky fans. Yes. Uh, That's a seven o'clock tip. There's another one at eight o'clock. That's for the ACC network. Miami plays at Florida state. Now, if you're Miami, you want to, you know, improve those numbers, those metrics, uh, go win in Tallahassee, Florida state continued to muddy up the ACC picture to the betterment of Seminoles fans and that program by getting a home win over Louisville. So that's an encouraging sign for an FSU team that has been a letdown so far this season. That's probably it of note. Um, Illinois is going to walk into pinnacle bank on Tuesday night. Just wanted to give you a heads up on that. It's tough. It's tough. And I think that's pretty much it, but Tuesday is pretty loaded here. Uh, Monday just has the national championship game in football. Before we make that pick, I have to note today is Dave Matthews 55th birthday. So happy oh, birthday. You. We did. Thanks for pointing that out. Happy birthday to, to Dave Matthews. He's 55. Um, favorite DMB song GP. I don't have one. I hate them. Yeah. yeah. And I grew up in the era where I'm supposed to like them. Like I grew up in a time where That's Dave right. Matthews was this big deal. I just, listen, I, I, I know you love them. So I, I'm not just trying oh. to be difficult. Like you can ask any of my friends. In fact, I'll give you, I'll give you 10 phone numbers. You can text them. Um, I've just never, never at any point in my life gotten into Dave Matthews or understood how he became such a big deal. But my musician friends who know him swear by him, say he's the nicest guy in the world. So I can appreciate that. He seems to be the nicest guy in the world. I just never enjoyed his music. Yeah, he and his band and that entire outfit, if you will, um, like there are certain bands when you get to a certain level, like you are like Dave Matthews literally employs, I'm going to say, 50 to 60 people by, by nature of touring every year and all this stuff. So there are, there, there are people that, that, that work for him in that band. And that outfit carries one of the absolute best reputations in the entire music industry for how it runs its shop. It's, uh, it's approach to charity. Um, and a lot of that stuff that never even gets known publicly. And then, uh, I can humbly say I got to experience that when I went, uh, and tell your story. I'm always telling stories. I want to get out of here. First of all, now, we'll save that for like a, a mailbag offseason podcast. I want to see, we're going to pick this football game in a second there, but happy 55th to Dave. Yep. If you are still not quite familiar, I still got to say under the table and dreaming is is the is the point of entry there, but before these crowded streets is the best record. Real ones, no. Okay, I want to see the Chargers and Raiders kneel on every possession. They both get in the playoffs if they tie. They're, I'm going to be so annoyed if these teams actually try and win this game. Why would you do this? Let's just rant on this real quick. The game is literally starting as we're podcasting now. There's no – why would you chance losing? You are automatically in the playoffs if you take the tie. Why not have a handshake agreement? Agree? Uh, probably because Roger Goodell would step in and say, yo, I don't know if you're even thinking about this, but you have to go play at Sunday night football. Yeah, and by the way, if they did that, the ratings for them, if they do this, would be higher than if one team tries to beat the other. Guarantee it. If if someone, if we're a half halfway through the first quarter, it's like, dude, they're nailing on every single play. There's a real sicko factor to that that the nation's going to turn in, tune in and watch. And then there's, but then also you got to be real trustworthy because <laughs> if somebody decides not to nail on the first, it better. That's what's so compelling about it. Like you agree to it, like through the first three quarters. What is this nonsense? Hand off. Get it out of here. Get it out of my face. He's breaking the... Oh, it's almost the first time. Is that Jacobs? This is annoying. Why can't we have something unique and awesome? They both get in if they tie. They both get in if they tie. Why not choose it? Ah. By yeah, the way, the commissioner cannot step in and interfere with that. That is... Oh, I bet... You want to you bet somebody would step in? They're not going to let Sunday Night Football be that. Man. 
Like, I understand it intellectually, but at some point it's competition. You got to go play the game. Like, it's one thing when you have nothing to gain, so you sit down Joe Burrow. Like, I get that, but 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 you, you still go out and play. everything to gain if you tie. But you go, you but you still go out and play the game into the playoffs if you agree to tie. Like, listen, I get it. If you told me if I were a Chargers fan or a Raiders fan, will you take a tie tonight? I'd say, of course, that sounds great. But to actually intentionally do it by failing to run actual plays, there is no scenario where the NFL would allow that to happen. Like, I don't, I don't know what the rules are. I'm just telling you somebody would step in and that would not, that, that cannot yeah. happen. Just wanted to see it. Hey, maybe there's maybe there's still a chance here. Uh, plenty of people we listen to this long after this game has been decided. Okay, let's pick this national championship game. I th- we've done this almost every year. I want to say for about eight or nine years, and I usually am. I think I'm terrible at this, and I'm about ready to get ready to lose this again. But they say that on balance, Georgia has had the better season. It's been the better team. Alabama obviously wins in the SEC championship game. This is not a college football podcast. Reminder. Cover three podcasts, CBS Sports Podcast Network. In all sincerity, congrats to those guys. They have had a phenomenal season in terms of growth and listenership. Their YouTube channel is awesome. Um, so go find that. If you're not already familiar, they will have an episode ready for you in advance of the title game. And then they'll be live on YouTube and have that pod. Like as soon as it's done, they're they're on top of it. So do find the cover three podcast. I'm going to I just give me a close game. I understand why this game isn't, you know, nationally compelling college basketball kind of protects itself against this for the most part, because the final four in the championship game usually give you compelling, like even the Virginia, Texas tech game. I remember the whole thing with that was going to be, it's the most boring game ever. And then, Oh, by the way, it winds up being one of the best uh, championship games we've had in the past 10 or 15 seasons. So the, the sport is usually benefited by the, the actual format of the tournament to give us reasons to watch the final four and the national championship game. College football, as it stands right now, you know, Georgia, Alabama, I understand to a lot of people, it's like, well, I guess I'll tune in, but like, is there any kind of enthusiasm? Is there anything new about this? Not really. Alabama almost always beats Georgia. So me being the idiot that I am, I'm going to take Georgia. I will take Georgia to win 24-20. I don't even know what the line is on this. Maybe you do, GP. Maybe not a nose or whatever, but I'm going to guess the line... I think Georgia's considered the better team. So I'll say Georgia's minus two and a half. That's my blind guess. But I'll say that Georgia wins. Georgia minus three. Okay. Georgia wins and covers. I got Georgia 24, Alabama 20. Uh, Many a person (laughs) has been dragged many a mile for picking against Alabama in a big spot. And I'm about to be another one. So I will uh, will do just that and give me Kirby Smart to, to win and give Georgia fans what would be just a humongous, humongous moment if they can do this and finally not just beat Alabama in a big spot, but get a national championship after decades and decades of waiting. I struggle with this because on one hand, I love the idea of excellence being excellent. So I would like to see uh, Nick Saban, the GOAT, win another national championship. On the other hand, arguably Georgia's best player is N'Kobe Dean, my little homie from Horn Lake, Mississippi. We grew up in the same place, went to the same high school. He is pushing me down the list of notable former residents of Horn Lake, Mississippi. But I don't mind that because I want success for people where I'm from. So forced to pick between those two things, I would like for my little homie from Horn Lake to get a national championship. The official prediction. Put it in the final four and one. Georgia 30. Absolutely not. Georgia 30. Alabama 28, Alabama misses a potential game-winning field goal in the final seconds. Walk-off of all walk-offs, if you call that. Reasonable, though. Could see it happening. Could see it. Could certainly see it happening there. Um, all right, so we both got Georgia winning, but you've got Bama covering, and I've got Georgia covering. Just give us a good game. I would like to, uh, would like to get a good national championship game. I think both these teams are capable of, uh, of of beating the other by double digits, but who knows. For all of your college football news and analysis, keep it locked here on the Ion College Basketball Podcast, oh, by the way. Plus, if you're into Dodo Birds or Camel Fighting or Premarital Sex, we got you covered. That's right. Dodo, also a song written by Dave Matthews. I had to sit through a whole Dave Matthews concert one time just because I wanted to see Willie Nelson. That's all you need to know, baby. They had Willie Nelson opening up for Dave Matthews. I thought that Willie was the Nelson most- loves and respects Dave Matthews that much. 
That I did. thought that was the most disrespectful thing I've ever seen in my life. That's, that's Willie Nelson. Yeah. Willie Nelson cannot open. It's Willie Nelson. There should just be a few rules. And one of them is that Willie Nelson is not allowed to open for anybody because he's Willie Nelson. Fair. I remember, I remember when Jason Isbell was on tour opening with John Prine. He was opening for John Prine. And at this point, in this moment, Jason had got a point, gotten to a point where his he could draw bigger than John Prine could, you know, at that particular time, maybe 2012, 13, 14, something in there. And somebody asked Jason, like, hey, you know, respectfully, but like you're the bigger draw now. Why would you be opening for John Prine? He said, That's John Prine. Are you out of your mind? Like, I'm not. John Prine's not opening for me. That's John Prine. And I would say the same thing about Willie Nelson. That's, that's Willie Nelson. Nobody should ever have Willie Nelson opening for them. You have to open for Willie Nelson. Until Willie Nelson is no longer on this earth. Thankfully, he's still with us. By the way, as we wrap. I love Willie Nelson. I, tonight was a first. I learned of the death of a celebrity literally in our live chat. So rest in peace, apparently, to Bob Saget, unless I've been uh, – I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing, but I saw that earlier in the chat there. So enough people talking about that I'm guessing it's been reported by a reputable outlet. So TMZ. TMZ gets all the deaths. Yeah. I mean, they're good at How confirming deaths. Saget? I'm going to say Bob Saget was 60, 65. I was going to say 63. Man. Oh, that, count that as a trivia time. He missed it. That's, a, that's, that's a, not that's, a trivia People, the death of, of celebrities does not does not go in the trivia time tally. No, you take, you take your wins and losses wherever you no get. No shot, but rest in that's. So he died in a hotel room in Orlando. Oh man, that's sad. It is sad, man. That's uh, yeah, that, that is sad. Uh, but yeah, that was I was checking that earlier. I didn't kind of didn't. A lot of death. Far, I saw it in the live chat, and I was like, "What?" And understandably, it was kind of taking some others by surprise there, but. Um, a lot of death. Betty White. If you have not seen, I guess it was a documentary. It's more than a decade old now, I think. The Aristocrats. Got some Bob Saget in there. That's uh, the joke about the Aristocrats. I think a lot of people know. But yeah. Anyway. Uh, Betty White, Bob Saget, Sidney Poitier. A lot yeah. of death. I know. 2022, not off, to a, not off to a great start here. I found myself last night. After the kids went to bed, I just get I start playing on YouTube sometimes. Um, just watching interviews with Sidney Poitier. What an amazing, interesting man he was. He's just yeah. telling stories about his life. Unbelievable stories. He came to New York with absolutely nothing, had no acting experience whatsoever. And he got a job washing dishes. And the reason he, he was do, got took the job washing dishes for like four dollars was uh, because he could. they would also let him eat. And so it was a way that he could eat. And he would live and like, you know, uh, or sleep. Like when he needed to sleep, he'd go to like a subway bathroom. You could put a quarter in it and then lock the door so he could sleep for a quarter. Maybe it was a nickel. And he'd, you know, just sit in a stall and sleep. That This is how he was living. And he said he saw an, uh, an advertisement in a newspaper in Harlem for like uh, actors and actresses, you know, we're trying to do, uh, you know, what performances and he showed up and um, the, the guy was like, so you're an actor. And he's like, yeah, of course I'm an actor. He'd never acted in his life. And the guy says, uh, you're not an actor. You're a dishwasher. Go wash dishes. And Sidney Poitier said he walked out of there and he said, that man never knew he changed my life. Because I set out from that moment to prove to that man that I was more than a dishwasher. How about that? Good stuff. And now, yeah, one of the most esteemed actors of of all time. Man, how about that? I could do about four more Sydney stories if you need them. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe another day. Maybe another day. The, the Raiders already got three on the board, man. What are we doing here? Why are you so stressed out about this? I'm not stressed. I'm just... I, it would have been cool. Maybe it could still happen. Not going to happen. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Chad Elsie. Got someone in the chat that said Arkansas basketball dying too. Oh, that's rough. Yeah. <laughs> that's too harsh. Yeah. Sorry, continues. I just saw it. <laughs> shouts to oh, shouts. Chad Elsie. Legend. 
Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys once again listening to the Island College Basketball Podcast in the middle of the dumbest pandemic in my lifetime. These variants are something else, boy. Somebody said today we got a Delta Cron variant coming. That sounds lovely. It sounds like a horrendous Michael Bay six sequels, what that sounds like. A Delta Cron variant? Gonna, variant? We're going to see you in a New York City hotel room the next time we chat here? We'll see. Okay. We'll see. Oh. All right. Um, I did have some people ask what happened because I wasn't in studio Wednesday night. And on Wednesday morning, I said, if you see me on TV tonight, everything's cool. If you don't, um, you'll know what happened. And then I wasn't on TV and people were like, oh, GP, are you okay? Um, yes, I still tested negative. I have still only tested negative. But um, we're running out of people. <laughs> and I did have symptoms. And, so, and I had worked closely with somebody the day before who tested positive on Wednesday morning. And so for precautionary reasons, I just stayed out of the studio um, on Wednesday night because we actually can't afford to lose anybody else. I mean, we are super shorthanded. I mean, if you could just do a Google search or turn on CBS Sports Network and see who's you know not, not there and you can assume why they're not there. And so, um, you know, I got to test negative one more time before I go back to New York, but assuming I do, um, then yeah, I'll be there uh, in studio Tuesday and Wednesday night. But how about this? In the past week, I've had close contacts with five confirmed cases. Five different people who I've had close contacts with, like been with, have tested positive in the past week, and I'm still consistently testing negative. I'm elusive. I know. That's how you set yourself up for death. <laughs> okay. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Five stars. Write some nice words over to Apple Podcasts. We have to offset those nerds. Those nerds that get offended too easily. We have to offset them. There's more of us. There's more of us than there are of them. If you've ever had sex before you were married, please go five-star review. Nice words over to Apple Podcasts. We need you. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you haven't done that yet, that's crazy. That's like crazy, crazy. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's easy to find. Go to YouTube. Just type Ion College Basketball on the search engine. Hit that bell button so you'll get alerts. And smash the like button because that's important too. Show them how you would smash it, dead leg. Give me that rhythm. You know what? Hmm. That's a good, good couple of days on the slopes there, but a little uh, a little tight. Got what no rhythm right now. You have no rhythm? No rhythm. Gotta gotta have a couple recovery days here. First first time on the mountain in a couple years here. So got back into the swing, but uh, woke up a little stiff this morning. Something like that would work. There you go. Something like that. Something like that gets it done. Smash the like button. Brandon Davies would do it. He smash anything. Guy risked a tri- trip to the Final Four just to smash. You risking nothing, so you've got no excuses. So please go do that. We'll talk to you again on Wednesday morning. Until then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.